Welcome to this special edition podcast of the New York Academy of Sciences, brought to you by the Sackler Institute for Nutrition Science and the Translational Medicine Initiative, sponsored by the Josiah Macy Jr. Foundation. I'm your host, Alana Rangi. What do you think is the leading cause of death to Americans every year? Car crashes? Or maybe cancer? It's actually cardiovascular disease, or heart disease. And it turns out that many of the risk factors of heart disease are actually things that we have some control over, meaning that if we lived healthier lives, we could help stop the epidemic. A lot has changed in the last 50 years of cardiovascular health and research. To learn more, I sat down with Dr. Valentin Fuster. Fuster is the director of the Mount Sinai Heart Center in New York and the director of CINEC, the National Center of Cardiovascular Investigation in Madrid, Spain. Dr. Fuster is also the scientific organizer of an upcoming conference called Evolving Challenges in Promoting Cardiovascular Health, presented by the New York Academy of Sciences, La Caixa Welfare Projects, and the International Center for Scientific Debate. The conference takes place in Barcelona on November 4th and 5th, 2011. For more information, visit www.nyas.org. So I'm wondering if you could tell the public only one thing about cardiovascular health and cardiovascular disease. What would it be? Well, cardiovascular means heart and brain. We are talking about heart attack and stroke. This is the number one killer in the world today, everywhere in the world. So followed by cancer. So we are dealing with a huge problem, and what is worse, is this is an epidemic, and that is the mortality is increasing due to cardiovascular diseases. So what causes cardiovascular disease? Well, cardiovascular disease has two components. One is disease of the arteries that supply blood to the heart and to the brain. And this is a, sl- a slow growth of narrowing due to the position of cholesterol and other materials. But at one point, maybe an accident, and the accident is an acute closure of the artery by a blood clot. And this means no oxygen to the muscle of the heart. Part of the muscle dies. This is a heart attack. No oxygen to the brain. Part of the brain dies, and this is a stroke. So there's a slow process of growing of a plaque with cholesterol and other materials, and then an acute closure of the artery with a blood clot. Now, I'm assuming that some people, you know, I know that if you have heart disease in your family, you're at a higher risk of also having heart disease. But I watched another interview that you did, and you used the phrase disease of culture. Can you explain what that means? Well, disease of behavior rather than culture, and that is uh, cardiovascular disease has seven risks that can put you really into, into the problem. And two of the risks are mechanical, high blood pressure that you don't treat it, or obesity, which we measure by the perimeter of your abdomen, which should be less than 80 centimeters in women and less than 100 in men. Of course, there's an issue of behavior there, too. Then two chemicals, one is cholesterol, and the other is blood sugar, diabetes. Taking into account that the diabetes and the cholesterol have a lot to do with weight and obesity. And then two questions, do you smoke or you don't? 
an issue of behavior again, or do you do exercise or not at least five days a week, half an hour? It's an issue of behavior. I told you six risk factors already, two mechanical, two chemical, two questions. The seventh one, you cannot do anything about it, is age. Is over age of 55 in men and over age of 16 women. So if you're asking me what causes a heart attack, the 95% of the heart attacks and strokes relate to the combination of one, two, or three of the risk factors I mentioned. Hmm. I'm wondering, how long have you been in cardiology for? Well, <laughs> certainly more than 40 years. <laughs> so in the years that you've been in cardiology, have you seen a change in public knowledge, I guess, or in the way that people take care of themselves? Well, the, the frustration is that there's more and more knowledge, but there is more and more misbehavior. And the reason is not too complicated to give it to you, and that is we are in a society of competition, we are in a society of consumption, and it's very difficult to be a saint. And one of the great problems actually is overweight, and that is people eat more, and actually this leads to obesity, which in a way is the cause of diabetes, at least one of the causes of diabetes, high blood pressure, and abnormalities in cholesterol. So then people escape many times for all the pressures and, and smokes. So what we are saying is that we are in a society very difficult to control behavior because we are constantly bombarded by all the things that really go against your heart and your, the health of your brain. So therefore, there's more knowledge, but it's more difficult to really have the appropriate behavior. Hmm. And people aren't very good at disciplining themselves. And very difficult, and again, in the way we live today is not simple. Obviously, if somebody has a heart attack or has you know, heart disease, there are treatment methods. But from what I understand, treatment is never as good as prevention. And so I'm wondering, how good are we right now at treating cardiovascular disease and, and heart attacks? Many people think, I prefer to die rapidly and I want to have a heart attack, they are wrong. Most of the people survive, and then the quality of life can be affected. Uh, I think one of the issues is that on one hand, we have the best treatments we ever had in terms of disease, uh, heart attacks, coronary care units, bypass surgery, stents, defibrillators, all sorts of drugs. So we are better than any time in the past. So we are prolonging life in a way, but at a huge cost. Economically, this is devastating, and that is we have prolonged life uh, six years in three decades, two years per decade, due to mainly treatment of cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the cost, the cost, for example, in 2006 in this country, I'm talking about the United States, was about $300 billion, the cost of treating cardiovascular disease, which is three times what the cost was 10 years before. And now in 2009, have increased 15% over the cost of 2006. So this is impossible to sustain. So sure, great science, great treatments, economically devastating. So when it comes to prevention, one of my favorite things that I read about you was that you worked with the Sesame Street program in Colombia. Tell me about what we're doing to prevent and to educate. 
Well, we have a document by the Institute of Medicine just came out with 12 recommendations about how we should prevent the epidemic to continue. But one of them, a very important one, is to be innovative, to do new things in your environment rather than talking to the politicians. And one of the things you can do is to address children or to address adults. Let me start with the children. The children between age three and six, according to Sesame Street, uh, I'm working with them, is the age where we have the highest possibility to absorb what we are told and to model our behavior when we are adults. And if you look at yourself, I'm sure that the way you are today has a lot to do with your environment when you had that age. So we took that as a hypothesis of work and saying, what about if we induce or we, we can transmit to these children the importance of health in their life and the future? And this is what we started to do with Sesame Street in Colombia and 6,000 children. And this is a project of 20 years. We have to prove that whatever we tell them now is going to be a better behavior when they are age adults. But what has been surprising is after a year or two of the project, the results are absolutely unbelievable and something we didn't expect. And that is, it seems the children have more impact on the behavior of the parents than the parents on the behavior of the children. For example, these children where we teach them importance of exercise, maintaining the weight, know your body and control your emotions, very important to prevent drug addiction when they are older. With these four items, what we have found in the follow-up of these children, we have a group that, a group that was intervened and a group that served as controls. The group that was intervened was amazing. They have an impact at home in terms of eating together the family, better nutrition, exercise, to make the parents to stop smoking. And the same, their impact in the school system. <laughs> By the way, our program went to children, teachers and parents, it was not only children. So these that started in 6,000 children now are 25,000. Wow. And we are now beginning in Spain, actually this coming month, in about uh, 25 schools in Madrid and in Barcelona. So basically, it's, a, it's, it's one of the 12 recommendations of the Institute of Medicine document, which I, I was very lucky to chair and certainly to learn, is that we can do a lot of things in our environment. This is for the children, but let's go into the adults. The adults is a problem. We don't change. But we change under two circumstances. One is uh, peer pressure, and the other is the law. So peer pressure, if you take that, says how can we create peer pressure to you or to me to change our behavior is the people around us. So what we want is to the island of Granada in the Caribbean, 100,000 people, and now we are dividing the island in groups of 20, 20 people. <laughs> 10 of them, of the neighborhood, 10 of them, they help each other like alcohol anonymous in controlling the risk factors. And that is what they are doing, very simple blood pressure control weight and exercise, no more. You have to be very simple. And this is compared with another group, which we leave them alone, the other 15. They know what they have to do. And our hypothesis is that when we work with others that help us to change, we probably are more 
uh, ready to change. So this is a project in Grenada. In addition, this is an island that for the first time in any country, the 12 recommendations have been accepted by the government to carry through. So we can set up an example. This is the peer pressure, and maybe the 12 messages is already law, but let's go into, let's come into New York. Bloomberg is the only uh, mayor of a city who has jurisdiction over health. He can really control health. And what he's doing is amazing. He's going over the restaurants. If they cook with the wrong oil, you cannot smoke anywhere. Then he uh, is now trying to decrease the salt of the foods that can come here. It's very interesting, but certainly it's the law. So we'll, the law is very critical for us to change. And I think the tobacco, the, the, the law in the restaurants and in public places is really an example how we can have an impact by obliging people to do the right thing. So the adults is a different approach than children, but children certainly it looks like a, a very important target that we have to pay attention in the future. You know, when you were talking about Granada and how they accepted the 12 recommendations, you know, it kind of strikes me, well, America seems like we have one of the highest rates of obesity. We're obviously not getting any better at it. And yet we seem kind of hesitant to actually confront ourselves and be like, yeah, we want to change our children's programming so that this becomes a priority. And, you know, when you were talking about the discussion groups in Granada, it just makes me think, well, imagine that they're doing this with the hope of sort of decreasing their risk of cardiovascular disease. But, you know, in turn, by keeping all of these health factors under control, you're probably also lowering your risk for all sorts of other diseases, too. And so why is it that we have such a difficult time in the U.S. kind of accepting this stuff? Well, first of all, I think in the U.S., I can give you an example. When I wanted to start the children's program in the U.S., this was eight years ago, I was told no, because there was not enough time in the school for the, such a program. What's the problem? The problem is health has never been a priority, which is a paradox, because in this culture, you have to live forever. And on the other hand, the sense that you are vulnerable is very low. I think this goes along with the culture of success. And this is a huge problem. Success may obscure the real issues, and one of the issues is health. So I think that this reluctance or this lack of understanding that you're vulnerable is part of the problems we have encountered in this country. Mm -hmm. I think it's changing. I think there is more and more of awareness now that health has to be dealt seriously. And, for example, the program in children we are now planning to start in at Harlem, and the program of Granada we are planning to start in the Bronx. So just to give you an idea that we are beginning to, at least I'm beginning to feel that things are moving forward uh, in the sense, but it has been a paradox. And the paradox is explained, in my view, by the sense of success in some way overshadowing the how vulnerable we are. Why bring health professionals together to talk about this? What's the importance, I guess, and kind of... Well, first of all, there are two trends today, two significant transitions. One is we are moving from complex disease, coronary artery disease, strokes, 
into identifying people who are developing the disease and they don't know yet. And this is through new technology of imaging. And from there, we are moving into promoting health. And that is, we should not even accept disease, even if it is silent, but we should prevent to develop the disease. This transition from disease that is in front of us, complex, in every day, in the experience with our families and so forth, to identify people who are at risk because they have the disease through new technology, to promote health, which is what we are talking about. This transition is a real, is a real challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take at least two decades to move from disease to really real promoting health. That's one aspect. The other aspect is more of a scientific aspect, and that is how we move from the heart to the brain. Mm-hmm. And this appears to be, it may be a comment that, that people may not understand, but the diseases of the brain, including degenerative brain disease, uh, the senile problems, have a lot to do with the same risk factors that cause stroke and heart attacks. So we are now beginning to move scientifically from the heart to the brain, but not only because the stroke, the causes are the same the heart attacks, is because the tiny vessels that supply blood to the brain may be affected by the same seven risk factors I mentioned before, and the tiny occlusions that nobody knows they are happening are affecting your memory, are affecting your cognitive function, and they're affecting, actually they're leading to senility. And so this movement from the heart to the brain is very, very important today, and it is a science behind it. Even Alzheimer's disease, Alzheimer's disease is very complex significant genetic component and other components, but one of them are the risk factors that also lead to heart attacks and strokes, which accelerate the disease. So the meeting in Barcelona is a challenge because we are going to touch into these two transitions. How we go from disease to promoting health in the next 20 years and how we move from the heart to the brain. Mm. So therefore, it's a very interesting meeting with a tremendous sense of future in which put, puts together all sorts of people mm. who are in the health system and in the science. I think it's very exciting, and because what we are really talking is the next two decades. What do you love about what you do? I love what I do. Uh, maybe I can summarize by you. I have a, a paradigm in my life which is called 40s. The first thing is time to reflect. I spend 15 minutes every day thinking and <laughs> doing nothing. Why? Because this prioritizes your life, what is important, what is not. It like, it's like to avoid catching a train that you don't know the direction. The second, which is important, is talent to discover, and that is what your talent is, what your assets are, and how can you invest the most. My best investment is to be in the firing line and really work with these projects in the firing line with many young people. The third is to transmit positivity, and that is how can we make a world that rather than being negative and always looking at our neighbor to make it positive and to contribute. And the fourth is tutoring, and that is trying to be sure that we tutor young people, that we incentivize young people. And actually all of us, regardless of the age, needs tutors. So time to reflect talent to discover, transmit positivity, 
and tutoring are probably answering your question. How old were you when you figured out the four T's? I was very lucky, but I was probably age 15 because I was very lucky. I had the whole environment that I grew up had that those four T's very much uh, a stamp that came to me and, and I practiced that. Dr. Valentin Fuster is the scientific organizer of an upcoming conference called Evolving Challenges in Promoting Cardiovascular Health, presented by the New York Academy of Sciences, Lacacia Welfare Projects, and the International Center for Scientific Debate. The conference takes place in Barcelona on November 4th and 5th, 2011. For more information, visit www.nyas.org.